0: Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of Ephesians. We are currently in chapter 3 at verse 14. Hi, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading in verse 14 of chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians, where Paul writes this, and height and depth and to know the love of christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of god now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us to him be the glory in the church and in christ jesus to all generations forever and ever Amen. So we find here in this last uh, couple of paragraphs of chapter 3 that Paul is uh, not only concluding the first half, uh, you might say, of the book, but he's actually uh, introducing the second half of the book, uh, if you take it all in its context. But before we get started uh, too deeply into that, I want you to notice that... uh, uh, verse 14 says, for this reason, and you will not know the reason for Paul's prayer for the Ephesians here in verse 14 uh, until uh, you read verse 13. He says, uh, therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Paul has just uh, finished the um, what basically is uh, the content of, of the entire chapter 3, uh, talking about this and uh he's been talking about the one body uh, that's that was uh, all the way back in chapter 1 then he also talked about the fact that we are uh stones or or we are uh, uh construction material in the temple or one temple and uh, that is a spiritual temple and now in chapter 3 he introduces this this idea of a mystery not that it's uh something hard to figure out or that it's a puzzle to uh to solve, uh, but uh, rather it is something that was not completely revealed very clearly at all in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, uh, the scriptures that we call the Old Testament. Uh, instead, it was um, accompanying Jesus and his work and his uh, work especially in dying for our sins rising again from the grave and sending his holy Spirit to inhabit every true believer in him and that work uh, of that uh, uh, comprised now this new work of God and that is what uh Paul earlier has called the church uh the Greek word is the ecclesia and um and yet he he concludes this by saying that that he he doesn't want them to lose heart he doesn't want them to be discouraged because they themselves are experiencing some persecution they're experiencing some hardships because of their testimony for Christ and yet uh, at the same time uh, paul is <laughs> as well and um, he doesn't want them to somehow Uh, be weakened by the fact that uh, uh, Paul is now uh, being imprisoned and he's he's suffering and he's suffering for the gospel's sake. He wants them to be encouraged. He says, uh, my tribulations uh, on your behalf is is for your glory. And so uh, this thought uh, is seemingly is what brings Paul to his knees. And that's exactly what he says in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Why? Because this preaching of the gospel puts him at odds with the leadership of the Jewish um, uh, version of Judaism at the time. And uh, that was uh, uh, caused... Uh, a great rift in Judaism itself, even though many Jewish people, uh, came to trust that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah and was the Messiah in the sense that he was first of all, their sin bearer, their lamb of God, as John the Baptist had declared. And those Jewish people who recognized him as such, uh, now, uh, um, made in some ways a, a relationship of their own based upon um, uh, Jesus's work on their behalf, and they had trusted in Him to be their sin bearer, Messiah, and uh, they are awaiting the the glory of the Messiah to come later, the kingdom of the Messiah in the in the sense of the uh, the kingdom of of uh, David's throne, and they are awaiting that. Well. You see the fact that uh, Paul then begins to spread the gospel beyond Judaism into Gentileism, <laughs> into into the realm of of the Gentile world of of various languages, various skin colors, various nationalities, various various ethnic groups, with the same message that this Jewish uh, Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, had taken their sins to the cross with him, and. Uh, Uh, had resurrected to give them the authority to receive eternal life through his resurrection and had given them the Holy Spirit on equal footing as the Jewish believers. And uh, there was no difference in the evidence or the work of the spirit in their lives as compared to those who were, uh, who were Jewish believers in Jesus, the Messiah. And so, so you see, he, he, he knows that this this needs prayer for these the these believers in Ephesus because Ephesus comprises uh believers of both uh sides of the spectrum so to speak the the uh so-called un, uncircumcision that he introduced in uh earlier part of chapter 2 and uh uh and that is uh, also in the, the circumcision being the Jewish people. And so it meant a lot, uh, because that was the, the a- absolute, uh, division, uh, culturally and socially and ethnic wise, as well as, uh, uh, preconceived religious, uh, notions were all wrapped up into that division, that main division. And, um, uh, uh, Paul, as an ex pharisee knew about that very much, and so he's he is praying for this church in particular, for the believers there. Um, this prayer, and it it would be very interesting for us to uh, do an entire study uh, on the prayers of Paul. You might want to do that sometime to uh, briefly scan through his various letters to the various churches, and when you uh, you notice that he is he is either making prayers for other people or that he's making prayer requests for himself, uh, that would make a great study. It shows you something about Paul's heart, where his priorities lie, and what is on his heart the most, what weighs heavily there, and what he is willing to bring to the Father on behalf of those that he has spiritually invested in. And so we have one of those right here in chapter 3 verse 14 he says i bow my knees now this is not the only uh, uh posture for prayer by the way uh although it is uh it is used quite a bit in the uh, in the bible in various places uh solomon bowed his knees daniel jesus stephen uh the first martyr uh peter paul and others um in the gospels and and in the book of acts that was the gesture or that was the posture in which they prayed. But there were also other postures, you might say. Uh, Sometimes they're described uh, in prayer as outstretched or uplifted hands. Sometimes they're standing. Sometimes they're sitting. Sometimes their heads, uh, faces are bowed. At other times their eyes are lifted heavenward. Um, Sometimes they're falling on the ground and laying completely uh, prone uh, as a form of prayer. So it kind of depends on the content of prayer. It kind of depends on, on the emotion behind the prayer. Uh, when, when we feel uh, that there needs to be some sort of uh, gesture, that, that is appropriate for what we're praying or who we're praying for or how urgent the prayer might be or how weak we feel we might be in that prayer. So Paul says, on my knees I have before the Father, from whom every family on in heaven and on earth derives its name. It's interesting that Paul addresses God as the Father, and uh, and he doesn't just use some generic idea of God. He uses this uh, this uh, this word, this term that uh, refers to God's masculine attributes as a Father, and uh, and Paul isn't ashamed of that. And uh, that, that's what's very fascinating. And not only is he able to be called Father by his family members it it's interesting from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name so uh you see that's where family comes from is from the fatherhood of God now uh that doesn't necessarily mean that uh uh we believe in the uh, the fatherhood of God and the 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 uh, uh the the family of of uh, every human being is is now the sons and daughters of God, but it it does mean that that God expresses His fatherhood toward those who are His children. We become His children through faith in His Son and what His Son has done to purchase uh, these out of uh, the humanity in order to place them in the family of God, and so Paul. Is unapologetically addressing God as the Father. Um, now, in other words, the, the the whole idea of God being father isn't just some sort of device that men have invented to make God more personable or to make him more humanized um, and, or to make him more un- understandable. It's exactly the opposite, you see, it, it, because of God's role ha, has always been that way. And, in fact, it, it goes from him and his fatherhood, from his character as a father, uh, and it it translates into the human family by human families and that is the human being's existence on earth is in the form of families. And so we get our definition of family from the Father of God and uh, that is God's God being the Father. And that's exactly what uh, what Paul is getting at here. It's it's the presumption you might say behind the whole issue of prayer and the prayer, To the Father as the head of the spiritual family for which we are a member. It says, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. And we know that God is rich in glory. That's one of his definitions is that uh, he is rich in glory. He is completely beyond the darkness. He's completely beyond confusion. He's completely beyond time. He's completely beyond his own material creation. He is and has and possesses glory. And you might look at that as being light, it, uh, or brilliance or or, or excellency uh, in some form or fashion or another in eternity as the infinite personal God, he possesses this glory. And out of the riches of, the, of that glory uh, is what Paul bases his prayer on. And we'll get to the rest of that prayer right after this musical interlude. Welcome back. And uh, we are continuing to look at these uh, couple of paragraphs that... uh are that the end of chapter 3. And uh, verse 15, or that is uh, verse 16, actually, is where we kind of left off uh, from the first half of this episode. Uh, 16 says that he would grant you, Paul is in the middle of making this prayer request to God uh, very specifically for this congregation. And as a result, it, uh, it spreads to other congregations also. It says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through the through his spirit in the inner man You see, we have a power that comes only from God through his spirit that has taken uh, residence in every believer in Christ. If you are born again, that's one of the definitions of being born again is that Christ's spirit has taken up residence. He is dwelling within you. There may not have been uh, an emotional reaction to that work uh, of the spirit. There may not have been some sort of uh, uh, abnormal kind of reaction, or anything else that we could feel with our emotions, or even feel with our bodies, or any some uh, any sort of uh, uh, kind of exhibit like that. But uh, but we can by faith believe that those who receive Christ receive also His Spirit. That's part of the definition, and uh, and by receiving His Spirit in the inner man, we have His power. Now just. In case we might get confused here, uh, there are lots of definition for what the Spirit's power looks like and what, what we expect from ourselves or what we judge in each other as whether or not the power of the Spirit is dwelling in each other or dwelling in ourselves. Uh, we look for certain things, perhaps, and maybe those things we look for uh, as the Spirit's uh, evidence of his power in us that, uh, sometimes we get it all, uh, mixed up or the wrong priorities, uh, such as, uh, a very famous, uh, passage in, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. There's that power. You see, even in the old Testament, it was referred to as coming from the Lord and, uh, they will mount up with wings like eagles. Well, that's something we all want. And, uh, that's something we we tend to to maybe uh, desire, and that that sometimes becomes our own expectations of uh, how we judge our spirituality, as well as we we judge other people's spirituality. Are we mounted up like eagles? Well, what's interesting is that that verse, even in the Old Testament, uh, gives a certain variety for how that strength is exhibited. Look at this. It says they will uh, mount up with wings like eagles. That's just the first phrase. Look at the other phrases. It continues on. Isaiah 40, verse 31. They will run and not get tired. You see, sometimes we can't, uh, and the power of the Spirit of God isn't uh, examinable by whether or not we're flying like eagles. It's whether or not we are running and uh, not getting tired. But look, there's one more phrase. It says, they walk and not become weary. Sometimes the power of the spirit is exhibited just as much as mounting up with wings like eagles if sometimes the strength is exhibited only in the fact that we can put one foot in front of the other. That's what it says in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. So Paul is praying for this power that can only come from the holy spirit it is a strength and an, it is an insight but in this in this particular case it's about power now uh for uh for a little bit of uh in-depth bible study i want you to notice that uh, paul this is the second uh, uh, prayer by Paul that uh, he records in this letter so far. The first one we find in verses 15 and 23 of uh, chapter one, and in that paragraph, Paul's prayer is actually for enlightenment, so that they can see things they hadn't seen before and know things more completely than they had than they had so far. And uh, what's interesting is that prayer for enlightenment actually is answered. It's answered in Paul's own letter following chapter 1 of Ephesians. That is, the answer for Paul's prayer for their enlightenment can be found in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Now, you see... When Paul here at the end of chapter 3 prays for empowerment and prays for the power of the Spirit to be exhibited, his answer, I believe, can be seen in the rest of the book of Ephesians. That means chapter 4 five and six uh, all have to do with how this power is exhibited. And uh, we might uh, look for certain kind of um, uh, things that we've been associating as somehow uh, the spirit of God taking over somebody's uh, a body or taking over their mind or taking over their tongue or taking over their speech or uh, taking over uh, the, the church. And uh, we have certain expectations of what that might look like. But uh, I have a conviction that we know what it looks like if we look at at the way Paul goes about laying the rest of the book for us, chapters 4, 5, and 6. That's the power of the Spirit being exhibited in the local church. And so that's what he says here. He says, not only may uh, uh, may, uh, the power of the spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that the spirit of God becomes a testimony of Christ's own presence in us, not only in us individually, but in us as a congregation. We've already talked about the spirit. The Spirit has a sealing work in uh, chapter 1, verse 13. He has a pledge work. That's chapter 1, verse 14. He has an indwelling or a residential work. That has to do in uh, verse 22 of chapter 2. He has uh, has given us access to the Father. That's chapter 2, verse 18. Uh, There is a revealing work by the Spirit. That's chapter 3, verse 5. And he has an empowering work. That's, of course, uh, verse 16 of chapter 3 that we just now have read. But, But the power is only a stepping stone to something else. It isn't just about the power. Do you see that? Look at this so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love, so that the love is, is the first exhibit of the power. Not only that Christ is in our presence, and Christ has taken up his residence inside of every believer, but that, uh, but that his love becomes our character. And uh, that is what the Spirit of God imparts to us. It's our love. It's the value we place in ourselves and on those around us and in our fellow believers in Christ and in the congregation that we gather with. The Spirit of God can give you the power to put value in them, even though uh, sometimes uh, they may be ornery people. Maybe they're not all that easy to get along with, and uh, they may not... uh, um, uh, make it easy for us. But, uh, but that's the reason why this prayer is there is that Paul knows in order to, to reach the love of Christ and to put that value in each other as a congregation, it's going to need a work of the spirit's power to do that. And look at, it, he goes on in verse 17. Um, uh, uh, it says, being rooted and grounded in love, and verse 18 continues, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. You see, we could never exhaust the knowledge of the love of Christ for us. This isn't just some sort of romantic idea that Jesus loves me, but it is is—it is actually the fact that he's put such value in me that he has died in my place so that uh, I also understand that he's died for my brothers and sisters, uh, and he paid the equal amount of price for them as he did for me, and it cost him his life in order to be their substitute as well as our own, and in order to, to understand the breath. That, that I think has the application in this passage and in this book as from Jewish people to Gentile people, to those who know the old covenant and the old ways of God and the, and the law of Moses and the Torah, to, to those who have a complete ignorance of the law of Moses and the Old Testament and the Bible. Um, that's the breadth of God's love. Uh, the length of God's love goes into his eternal purpose. And that's what he has already laid out, uh- Uh, According to chapter 1, verse 4, 2, verse 7, 3, verse 11, God has an eternal purpose in us and for us and for our congregation, and that's part of the length of God's uh, love for us. And the height of his love means that he takes us into the heavenly places in Christ Jesus already. That is our new address. He's already introduced that idea. That's the height of his love. His love encompasses and takes us, spiritually speaking, to his own presence in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And the depth of his love, that means We were once, according to chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we were once dead in sins. There was no difference between us and anybody else except for the fact that God's love reached to us and convicted us that we needed Yeshua as our Messiah and uh, that we needed him as our Savior, as our Savior Messiah, and uh, he needed to be our substitute and that's what he did. That was the expression of his love and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. We can't exhaust it. We can't run run it to its extreme and find the nth uh, nth degree of it, Uh, but we can know it and can know it truly and can know it uh, to a great degree while we still are living here on earth so that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. So God wants to fill us with his love. This isn't just um, a a sentimental idea about ourselves or about God or about each other or some sort of romantic idea this is about value it's about expressing the value that god expressed toward us through sending his son and we were that important to him and others should be that important to us and then paul concludes chapter three with this doxology and that that talks about the glory it comes from the greek word doxa and uh This doxology concludes, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, well, that's an enormous amount of answered prayer, if God can do even beyond what we think or imagine. Um, And it says, uh, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in christ jesus so you see our congregations should be testimonies of his glory that's what he designed them to be is exhibits are the pavilions of his glory in the gatherings of believers uh, in various places in various cities through various ethnic groups and skin colors and languages assembled together around the common savior around a common jesus the messiah and uh, when we do so around the lamb of god who's resurrected from the grave and sending his holy spirit in us then we express part of that glory as a congregation in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This crosses not and not just uh, timelines and cultural lines. This crosses generational lines, and uh, that is part of God's design is so that we exhibit that. Now, I know that many of our churches do not exhibit that very Clearly from time to time, uh, we may exhibit a lot of the flesh or a lot of selfishness or a lot of other things in our congregations. Uh, There may be a lot of disagreeable things going on in our various churches, but this is the plan of God. This is the prayer that Paul has prayed for these dear believers so that in the church, the glory of God can be exhibited. And he concludes the chapter with an amen. It is so. Make it true, Father. Dear Father, I pray that these words would be true for us, that by faith we can claim them as our own because they are our own. We already possess these things. May we experience them as being real in our lives and in our relationships to our fellow believers. In Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.